You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. Because world building, it's like a free vacation. I'm Rowena Miller. I'm Marshall Ryan Moreska. I'm Cass Morris, and this is episode 83, Using Our Vacation Time. here we're here and some of us are still on vacation and some of us aren't but we're here we are at least all on the same continent again we are yes and because of the time difference between when we record this and when y'all will hear this right now we have not yet all three been in the same room but by the time you at you humans are listening to it we will have all been in the same room (laughs) At ArmadilloCon. At the same time. Which... I'm just gonna... Hold on. Hold on. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was me knocking on wood. Okay. Which, <laughs> speaking on behalf of future us, was amazing, and we had a great time. Oh, yeah. It was just... It yes. was the best ever. It was... The, the, the thing with the lizard? Oh, my great. God. The lizard. I, unexpected, but yeah. it was awesome. It, it was... Yeah. I mean... Who knew? <laughs> and then, in in a little over... A month, we'll be in the same room again at Worldcon. And if you are listening to this, there is, in fact, still time for you to come and uh, see us there. So if that's at all interesting to you, we'll be in Chicago for Worldcon. I was going to say that I thought you were going to say there was time for them to vote for us for the Hugos, but by the time this I comes out, that yeah, that will have the die passed. will have been yeah. cast. Over. And <laughs> but so there we are will reaching through space time. time and hoping yes. that you have already done the thing and if you're inclined don't worry i'm about to get very obnoxious about it on twitter so i'm about to i'm about to (laughs) dial up the annoying on twitter you have to fight the algorithm but there will be time to come and see us and say nice things to us and tell us how cute we are because that's what we do this for we do not do this for the money and because then we wouldn't be nominated for fan cast (laughs) (laughs) is is the quest today to prove (laughs) As many times as possible that we're not professional podcasters. I've... I mean, if people can't tell, I don't know what to tell them. It really, it, I mean, yes. <laughs> I want to make it absolutely clear the level that we're working at. We're here for the joy. We're here for the love. We are. Just a bunch of weirdos who like talking about things. Before we move to today's things, are there any other announcements, provisos, excitements? I don't think I have any. (laughs) I've got nothing. In November, my next book... Well, first of all, by now, my most recent novella just came out, which is The Mystical Murders of Yin Mara. (laughs) And that came out at the beginning of August. And hopefully, if you haven't picked it up yet, you should pick it up because it's it's a fun little novella filled filled with mystery and weird dead bodies and sciencey magic and magic science and a bit of kissing because you know there should always be a bit of kissing i think is this a kissing book it is a kissing book (laughs) (laughs) without going too deep into spoilers it literally begins and ends with a kiss there you go it's a kissing book but in between there's dead bodies and solving murders (laughs) as there should be i'm i mean that's how my dates usually go so (laughs) i'm just gonna let the listeners wonder 
Under what circumstances? <laughs> yes, it is a delightful romp. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope that many, many readers will as well. I'm sorry. You just made me think of like a Tinder profile with just blatantly, you want to help me hide a dead body. <laughs> Gosh, I should try that just for the amusement value of like... You know, plenty of guys would still swipe right on that. Is swipe right the right thing to do? I don't know. I'm old. I don't know I'm, which way you swipe. I've, I've been, I'm old and I've been married for, for 23 years. So <laughs> I don't know these things. Plot twist. The dead body we're hiding is <laughs> I'm sure there's an episode oh, sure. of something, of some CSI yeah. something that follows those lines. Um, I... I once saw this cute little horror short of two people who were like talking on a Tinder or a Tinder like thing and they were joking like you know it's like I hope you're not going to kill me it's like no I already have one body in the tub I don't have time for that and then <laughs> but like the end is like it pans over and he does have a body <laughs> in the tub or the joke about like what are the yeah, two like it's like oh I'm so glad that you know to find out that you know I was worried you might think I was a serial killer it's like oh what are the chances yeah. that both of us <laughs> well the, the other yeah, is gets... like it's not like I'm a vampire who's going to suck your soul out and she is <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it was a good pairing really but where was I but yeah anyway then my next actual novel comes out in November <laughs> which is the Quarry Gate Gambit which will be the fourth book in my Streets of Meridane with the Rhinax brothers getting into all sorts of trouble. And this time also, Verisi's wife, Rach, gets into her own all sorts of trouble because Assy and Verisi are in all sorts of trouble and she doesn't know what else to do. But get into her own trouble. It's going to be, it's a lot of fun. And it's also heart-shattering, as many of my books will be, especially in this phase of things with the Meridian books. I have a whole system of like, what a five book series should look like and the fourth book it has to be like the most emotionally destructive it's gonna be a rough next like year and a half for me is what you're saying right now said so. for you i'm the one who has to write these things so this is this is a fair warning don't read a book four in a marshall ryan maresca series <laughs> if, if you're if you're in an emotionally fragile place just avoid book four that's where you have to just rip hearts right out of chests loads of fun <laughs> for kids anyway <laughs> listeners i apologize we're all just super goofy today this 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 i mean future marshall probably can like just edit wow this episode's like only 20 Maybe. minutes long why is that <laughs> Well, after I edited out all the bullshit and giggling, this is what we had left. So speaking of things that happen when you're overworked and your brain is fried, our topic today is vacation. What do your characters do when they're overworked and their brains are fried? And I, I was thinking it might be helpful if we attempt to define the undefinable up front and what exactly is vacation to you? Like what makes something a vacation? Which sounds like a stupid question until you consider, like, all the ways that we can travel, all the ways that we can take time off that don't really feel like vacations when you get right down to it. There's a difference between vacation and just, like, normal leisure time. Like, your weekend is is typically not a vacation. Um, things you do in the evening, you know, if you go to a movie in the evenings, that's leisure time. But it's not a vacation. To me, like, a vacation has to be... A, an extra step removed from your usual routine. It's it's a longer stretch of time off. Travel is probably involved in some fashion. Um, 
it is it is more of a disruption of routine than the things that fall under just like ordinary leisure time. I like I like that that element of disruption of routine. I think that that might be a key part of it that the normal routine is shelved in some way, shape, or form for more than just like the hour that it takes to take a bubble bath or whatever. Although on some level, oftentimes that shattering of routine creates even more stressful situations than, and thus the point of the vacation seems almost to be nullified because like, oh, we have to deal with the travel arrangements. Oh, we have to deal with the hotel arrangements. And oh, this hotel is a nightmare flea trap. And oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my flight was canceled. Oh, my flight was canceled again. Oh, now I finally have a flight, but it's delayed by five hours. Yeah. Or if you've, you know, if any of you had fathers like mine who, when packing the car for a trip, um, attempted to bring as much of home in the daily routine with them <laughs> as humanly possible. <laughs> it's like all the bags, the car top carrier, it's like anything we might possibly need. It's like, Dad, we're going like two hours away for like five They days. have stores there too, <laughs> Dad. <laughs> they have stuff. They do. They have stuff there. They have things. I will say, I think that raises another point for me that this may be an unpopular opinion. But as a parent of small children, there is a difference between taking a family trip and taking a vacation. Because at some you're point, 100% you're, just parenting, on point <laughs> you're parenting in a different zip code. And it's, it's not really a vacation so much as it is parenting a change of venue. in a different zip code. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say that as someone who does not have kids but has worked in a resort town. I appreciate parents like you who don't, who don't just check out and assume that other people are responsible. I've, I've saved at least like three kids from death, which was not in my job description. I was not a lifeguard. I was a waiter and I worked in a bookstore and still had to prevent children from unaliving because of their inattentive parents. It's like, you realize that's still yours, right? Like, you brought it here. It is still your problem. No. And I am not paid enough to make it I'm my on problem. vacation from all of my jobs, including and especially this one. Yes. So so yeah, there's there's an element of vacation that yeah, it is it's um if there are stressors that are introduced because of the vacation, they are hopefully minimal and to the point of like, yes, you arranged it, but once you're there, once you're there, there's a decompression that can Ideally. that can occur. <laughs> If, if you're if you're fortunate enough to be able to go to some place where once you are there everything is taken care of and you're not you can you can shut your brain off and, and have no responsibilities whatsoever but yeah or at least where there are like longer stretches of time where no one else is making demands on you because like unless you're going to one of those like all-inclusive resorts you're probably still gonna figure out how have to figure out how to feed yourself at some point right you may still have to cook a meal you may still have to do some normal life things. But it's not like, you know, our average lives where we're accountable to, to someone else, whether it's a job or family or whatever, for like every hour of our days. <laughs> Vacation to me seems like there are at least stretches of time where you don't have that happen. Yeah, I think that the, the not having demands placed upon you by other people or institutions is a big part of it because some people find like their idea of a fun vacation is like backpacking through the wilderness so it's not really like a downtime like relaxation in the like you know lay by the pool kind of kind of sense of it but no one else is making demands on them 
except for like maybe the bear chasing them or something. But but it's different. It's a disruption to the routine. It's not other people asking you to like get a report on their desk or or whatever. It's it's Yeah, well I was just thinking, I, I said all of that about not being accountable to other people, but anyone who's ever traveled with me knows that if you're traveling with me, you're you, I I'm making decisions for you. <laughs> That's happening. Like if we go to Disney World, it's like, no, you gotta keep up. We got a schedule because <laughs> that's what's fun for me, but it, it's perhaps not for everybody. <laughs> I try to travel with people who know that at least. See, for me, that would be great because like the I don't have to make a decision. Beautiful. <laughs> <It's> the... <laughs> awesome. Let's go to Disney World. I will take care of everything. I will plan it all. It's the oh, it's we're going here. Great. Do it. I don't have to. You know. All right. As long as you bank in like, you know, this period of time, you there's a hammock, there's a book, have have at it. Marshall, when I go to Disney World, there are spreadsheets involved. <laughs> You're a beautiful human being, Cass yeah. Morris. See? See? <laughs> I know. <laughs> but you are but, but you are beholden to no one's spreadsheet but your own. Yes. yes. But mine. But mine. And that is a, I mean, that's a fun thing to think about with vacations, is that like not everyone's idea of a good time is going to match. My my gentleman and I were discussing just earlier today, in fact, not understanding some of the, like, the party beaches, the, like, really super crowded ones where there's just so many people. And I'm like, I need an eight-foot buffer around my setup. I need people not close to me. I look at, like, Daytona Beach or Ibiza or something where it's just, like, everyone just goes out there with a towel and it's just a, a checkerboard of towels. And I'm like, that is too That's, many humans. None of that. Clearly, they find that vacation no, none fun. Of that is, <laughs> none of that. And I'm that not is one a of them. nightmare horror show as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. If I go to the beach, I want, like, the quietest beach possible. I will hike a mile <laughs> to get to the quiet beach where I can be with my by myself. And it's not just that I'm old. Because oh, yeah. I was like this when oh, yeah. I was 22. Like, it's it's like, it's not an age thing. It's just, it's a, that is not relaxing to me. That is not, that's not, that's not where fun is for me. I was going to say, I'm not a morning person, but those situations, like, I will be the one up at sunrise so that nobody else is out on the beach when I go and then, and then be done. And then, oh, now the crowd's here. Good. I'm leaving. Bye. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you can really like learn a lot about yourself and especially yourself in relation to others by figuring out like what what sounds like fun to you on vacation and what sounds like an absolute nightmare and it's kind of revealing about who you are and who you're not. So something I think is then fun to think about as we define what vacation is and what it looks like for different people is in your world what kinds of things have to exist for the idea of a vacation to even be conceptually available as opposed to just other forms of leisure time. And I think about this because of a book I read a bunch of years ago called Pagan Holiday, um, which is about ancient Roman tourists. And the author of this book, I think it's Tony Paratet. He's a travel writer mostly, but he also has a love of history. And his theory was that the like first century sort of AD Romans were essentially the world's first tourists because they were the first people to live in a society that allowed for that to be possible, where travel for leisure could be a thing, that it was safe enough, that they sort of knew what their world looked like enough, they, they had enough ideas of like where they could go, and that it was economically available to more people than just the you know total upper crust. And so the, the book sort of traces like what a typical like Roman 
tourist holiday could look like. But it was just really interesting to me to think about, like, yeah, you do need certain elements. You need a certain degree of uh, safety in travel for the idea of traveling for vacation to be an attractive thing to people. You need certain economic conditions if it's anyone other than just your upper class doing that traveling. So what are all those conditions that, that have to be there? You need that infrastructure also of where they're going to go so that it is remotely vacation-y unless, you know, unless again, it's the people who, you know, like going out into the middle of nowhere and, and pitching a tent and, and, and being completely, you know, in the elements of nature, which I do see the appeal of. Like I do, I mean, I like to go to, to Big Bend National Park and be, absolutely in the middle of nowhere out there that's delightful for me but i know that for some people that's like no thank you well and like would that be a leisure concept at all in a society that is still closer to subsistence survival you know like if your whole life is having to herd the goats up and down the mountain and go out to the pastures like doing that for funsies (laughs) probably doesn't yeah. strike you as I mean, a great time you're like we oh, live yeah. right on the mountain like we see this every day this is <laughs> but be, i get to hike up the mountain without the goats hooray but yeah i know i mean what what even and then you just get really what bored, even sounds right? like like a fun time if you're that close to it already part of part of the reason that we enjoy the wilderness thing is part of the novelty of it it's novel it's different if you're doing basically that all the time anyway though that that does raise a question of like in a say a secondary fantasy world like is there enough government and infrastructure that the concept of something like a national park can even exist of like like here's this spot we've just set aside because it's gorgeous and we just want to you know we're not going to do anything but let it be gorgeous like I, i i wonder if that's even a concept that can even exist prior to say industrialization because well and, of, and is there any reason to have is there a reason for to industrialization yeah. like like well yeah the mountains are always going to be there it's always going to look like that what would the problem be and like suddenly we have factories and it's like oh oh no okay now i see i see what i see what you're saying <laughs> and we should probably yeah maybe we should do something but you could also see i mean the possibility for setting aside spaces to like you know there's just too many people here we need to like preserve the sacred mountain because there's too many people trips and all over it we're going to start selling passes and five of you get in a day or whatever so you could have (laughs) variations on a theme that are less about like conservation and maybe more about access or or something like that yeah but even that has to be a deliberate choice not to be using that land and that space for something else and i think the same is true for like you know beach towns, mountain chalets, tourist attractions, if that land could in some other circumstance be farmable or be a place for a fishing village, like it says something about your society that they can afford to set aside this space for leisure, that it doesn't have to be used simply to keep the people in this civilization alive. And I think too, the whether or not that is publicly accessible or it's private, because I think historically, we very, very wealthy people have been doing that for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is the prettiest forest. I am going to claim it, make it the game park and put a pleasure palace here. This is the prettiest <laughs> stretch of shore. I am going to claim it and make it mine, but no one else gets to come play on it unless I let them. So when does that shift from being something that is only accessible to people with 
obscene amounts of wealth and power and becomes accessible to people who are perhaps still have comparable to the rest of society almost obscene amounts of wealth and power, but not that obscene. <laughs> not the, like, I I own everything obscene. On a level, if the infrastructure exists, then you've at least implied that a certain amount of wealth and power exists to set up that infrastructure. And even if it's like, we can only afford you to go for a week every five years, that's... So even if you're at an economic level where affording this sort of thing is just a sometimes thing that still puts you like above the people who have to serve you as part of that infrastructure even if it's only for a week because for them that that's their livelihood but again again you're setting up a situation where a certain amount of people's livelihood is based on that infrastructure and based on the idea of there being vacationers well and i just think about you know the 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 differences between in the modern world, the US and some other countries where, you know, we're like, oh, we get our two weeks paid vacation. That means I've made it. I'm really secure. And a lot of Europeans look at us like, what? <laughs> Only two weeks? We take all of August <laughs> off. Like, and, and then, of course, you compare that to like, historically, there were people who literally never got days off. Literally or, never. You know, like, well, it's Boxing yeah. Day. Enjoy your one day off this year. Have fun. Bye. <laughs> so it's there is a continuum there of like two weeks is a heck of a lot better than absolutely never and still not nearly as good as getting four weeks, six weeks. Well, even that like we take all of August off, there is that sort of like when we say we there, we're talking about a certain class of people because the other class of people have to absolutely keep working so that all of those we can take August off because really, you know, they're reliant on a whole infrastructure. Even if that infrastructure is somewhere else, like, you know, it's like, we all take August off and go to Ibiza. Well, then there's a lot of people in Ibiza whose job it is, is to make sure that it's working for you. And, and as, and as as far as I know, you don't have an arrangement with Ibiza where then they take September off and come to you. (laughs) As far as I know. So that would be awesome. That'd be good. That'd be a good trade. (laughs) No, I remember reading something fairly recently about like somebody who was traveling in Europe and and arrived at some town in I think Sweden during like that town's holiday. Nothing was open. <laughs> like nothing. It's like, "Oh, we came here at the wrong time. We did not realize this was your vacation month." But even at that level, like you still need grocery stores, you still need power, you still need to make sure, you know, that sewage is operating correctly. So yeah, who gets to take the vacation then and who takes it at some other point in time? Living, as I often have, in a resort town. The people here take their vacations in February because there's nobody here then. <laughs> no one come, No one comes to a beach in North Carolina in February. But they work their butts off throughout the summer through the typical holiday months because they are providing that service to other vacationers. And then they, ha- they go to someplace else where February is the high season. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I mean, it's usually like Caribbean. It's, you know, that's when they go to Hawaii, things like that. Um, So I think it does speak in some ways, too, to the interconnectedness of the world you're building. Is there that ability to sort of trade who works when? And um, is there a seasonality to those things? And is it linked to agriculture? Is it linked to a school calendar? What what creates these conditions where some set of people can take time off? I think considering what 
allows someone to take time off period is worthwhile considering. Because there are certain jobs that you cannot just put in your days off and there you go. I mean, if your job involves livestock, you can't just leave. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. You know, so it's like, unless you have a large enough operation that it's like, well, Bob's going to take off this week and then Jim's going to take off the following week and we'll hire a farmhand to cover. I mean, historically, that's not how most places operated. You know, you have a family farm and you have your dairy cows and... You can't tell the cows to milk each other. Yeah, they they don't take kindly to it, you know? And they lack thumbs. So, you know, you, you see... So what, what creates a condition that people can even take time off? You know, you, you have small businesses, small operations, taking time off means no income. Maybe you can do that and you can make that choice and you have, you know the cobbler's shop that's like, well, for a week, every, you know, fall, we just close and we take it, take <laughs> off. But is that something that is feasible or possible? I mean, you can have that certain amount of like, if you want to choose this week, too bad. Cause, yes. You know. Well, and that, I mean, like Cass was, Cass was saying in Sweden, we noticed this in Germany, that there would be restaurants, family run restaurants that would just close for a week. We're on vacation. And yeah. you can see that sometimes in small towns in the U.S. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but like little mom and pop shops are like, we're on vacation this week. We're done. Oh, yeah. Which that happened all the time in Stanton. It was totally normal. It's also like the uh, the theater I used to work for there used to very proudly be open 51 weeks a year and eventually had to dial that back because they realized that, oh, maintenance we can't actually get maintenance in this place done if we're all in it, working all the time, 51 weeks a year. They had to sort of create a place where the people who usually work in that space weren't working in that space so that other people could come work in that space and fix the things that we break all the time when we're usually in that space. <laughs> Temporal transits there. But that also got me thinking, Rowena, about like the, the different economies that spring up around allowing people to, to take vacations and to travel. Things like... Um, you know, boarding your pets at a kennel when you travel. Is that a thing? In your fantasy world, is there a griffin kennel that you can leave your, your magical winged beasts at when you when you go out of town for a while? Or, or are, you, are you expected I, I, to I, travel with your dragon? And then and then do inns and then do inns have dragon boarding when you get there? Do you do you have to choose the, the dragon or the dragon free zone? Is that a, an upcharge on your ticket? Either to be with your dragon or to be in the dra- like if you want. To, I'm sorry if you want the dragon free seating. That's an upcharge because this is a, a dragon friendly establishment. You could you could do a whole cozy fantasy series around this. I'm I'm feeling certain all of a sudden that. Or like, is is your dragon your thing. mode of travel and you basically rather you have to like you know then like leave it at you know the dragon port and you know pay the rental fees or whatever for it to be there so then when you go home. It's, you know, it's fed and ready and, and well-rested and, but also like, you know, I think about this because my dad had a private it, plane, so like he had a little four-seater. And so the things that he would have to do when we took it anywhere, wherever we landed, you know, it occurred to me, if you, if your dragon was your, your method of, of <laughs> like it would be the same, it'd be the same processes. sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, like stabling yeah. horses back in the day or having, you know, post ends. But now I'm just picturing my father loading the saddlebags on a dragon. The dragon is glaring at him. <laughs> rather like, than. What? Why are you putting that rather in Rather than his suburban. Why? 
I'm not carrying that. You don't need that. I'm going to chuck that out halfway across the ocean, you know. We don't need it. Which also, oh, wow, that just made me think there's also, what is the infrastructure for the actual travel? Like, do you, like, if you're taking, if you're taking the dragon across the ocean, like, is there seaborne platform where you can land get a snack and use the restroom and things like that like is is that set up so that oh my god i love that dragon yes. rest stops i love it and is it like on the ocean or is it floating yeah. in the air do you and okay oh if god, you have that. like floating in the air things in your world are there are there air city vacation spots like is that a thing you do and then what's what are the vac like we, we've we already started with the level of presumption of like what vacation means and it tends to be the sort of like warm beachy thing which like even even like Star Trek sex planet as a sex planet it was still kind of a warm beachy sort of thing that like <laughs> like everything was on the beach it still seemed like even though like why was that it was it was very yeah. tropical which I appreciate there were there were there were lounge chairs and and tiki drinks I think it's because for a lot of people, like uh, the idea of vacation is sometimes, you know, an opportunity to be scantily clad and meet strangers. And that's hard to do when it's, you know, 20 degrees outside. (laughs) So the the liberation of vacation, I think, has has an association with the, the warmer climates. Also Vegas. That the, that the, <laughs> but there, what happens? The, the, the what happens here stays yeah, here. That the idea. rules of society they're, they're probably... are put on hold, at least for you know while you're on like everything else. Like you say, your routine is disrupted, but also the rules are disrupted, and you can do things that are not supposed to be the things you do. Partly because everyone around you, you don't know, you're never going to see them again, and that's the point. Yeah, I mean everything from like day drinking to. The weird outfits, to staying out late, to going to weird parties, to doing things. Like, the things people do on vacation, most of them don't do on a regular basis in, in their daily life. But on vacation, it's fine. I think that could be kind of fun to play with, too. Like, in a fantasy world, of, of that then means you have to know pretty well what is ordinary, normal life for the people that you're talking about. Because actually, if having mimosa with breakfast every morning is normal, it's not really a vacation thing to do that. You might still do it because you like it. But, you know, if if staying out really late is just part of the normal culture, you know, actually, maybe on vacation, you're like, oh, man, looking forward to going to bed early. That's going to be great. It's going to be quiet. I'm going to I'm going to the, the resort and the resort is quiet. And that's that's what we seek. When we're going on vacations, we find a place that's really quiet. So we just catch up on sleep, you know, read a good book. It's going to be great. It, it's quiet and so and so remote that when the sun goes down, it's just dark and you go to sleep because, yeah. like, there's no purpose. And then you wake up when the sun comes up because also the howler monkeys are up then. and they're Because the howler monkeys, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> they're nature's alarm clock, those howler monkeys. And so... Then you you get yourself on a whole different time schedule because because you're on vacation and yeah it can be that sort of thing rather than necessarily wild libidinous yes and and not not that you can't have your own particular forms of debauchery but they're just happening at a more reasonable hour right there the the idea is like no debauchery can be a ten a.m. thing like why not <laughs> we're on vacation the rules don't matter right. Once again, that that separation from 
daily life, daily expectations, the inversions that happen. I think it's sort of, it, it probably links to something we talked about a few episodes ago when we talked about festivals and, and the need for a change in routine that those give you. I think it's probably something very similar here with the human brain needs breaks. It needs the chance to do something different. And with vacation, it's, it's, not, the, it's not the liberation of time specifically that you get like with a festival, like this is a festival day on which certain things are allowed. It's the liberation, I think, of often of space of, like you said, Marshall, like I'm in a different place. People don't know me here. I can be whoever I want. Um, I will not have to look these people in the face three <laughs> days from now and explain why I was uh, dancing on top of that table. Um, a different kind, like a, it's, it's, I mean, it's time too, but it's, I don't know, it occupies a slightly different mental space i think than than the festivals but addressing a similar need in in our little hearts i think so and i think you know in in times and spaces where honestly taking a week of vacation is simply not going to happen addressing that with the concept of festival days or holidays or how how do people then get that kind of r and r in in some other perhaps shortened truncated way because i think we sometimes think of having a bunch of vacation time or like, you know, our two weeks of vacation as, as like a, that we think of it as we have two weeks of vacation time. And this is, this is a great privilege that we get these two weeks and we're going to use it however we want. But in some ways, even like if you compare that to historically, how many days people took off, it's still less time than many people took off historically. They just didn't get it all at once. And so, you know, it's, is one better? I don't know if one's better or worse from a psychological or restfulness perspective, but just because we, we break up our R and R time in one way doesn't mean that's the only way of breaking up. And so if we think about who is even able to take time off and that this might in some ways intersect with people who have not only the, the prestige kinds of employment or positions in life that you can take time off, but also the money to travel. I think that's also interesting in that they kind of come together to create the concept of vacation or travel as luxury. And so the spaces that people consider like that's a vacation space or a vacation activity kind of end up also corresponding with what a culture believes to be luxurious or or special occasion or or whatever. There is even the sense that you can craft the idea of what quote unquote luxury looks like, like if to an extent, it can be just a grift of like, this is what luxury is because we've said that this is a luxury trip. Like the idea that, you know, you're, you know, being on a beach sometimes is just this, this gross thing where you're hot and, and <laughs> covered in sand and salt. And, you know, but no, this is the good life. You should you need to you need to embrace it. And <laughs> we're, we're having, having fun, fun, damn it. <laughs> and like, I mean, I have always I have grown up on the East Coast. So to me, yes, the beach is is place where you go to vacation, but created spaces too. Like you were saying, Marshall, like what's that town in like Missouri that, I don't know, they just plunked it down and decided this was going to be a tourist destination. What's it called? I can't remember. I think it starts with a B. Branson. Branson. Oh, Branson. I, thought I was, think you're right. Yeah. I, that's what I was thinking too. And then I was like, Branson? that sounds too normal, but I think it sounds normal for a reason. <laughs> it's all um, part of the plan. And apparently that's where people in the Midwest go to vacation. And, and that's, Never I don't know. I mean, well, no, you're right. You're right. Because that's like, <laughs> I mean, I much of <laughs> I just heard much things. of the plot of the show Ozark is based on the idea that these these little towns in Missouri on the on the river that that's 
you know, that is a vacation spot where people go to be to be on the river and to like do whatever on the river. And that's apparently a huge industry there. And so thus it's a great place to also launder money because there's a lot of money being spent because that that's what the show's about. <laughs> it's a good show. Highly recommend. But, you know, <laughs> you know, this same sort of town that has a lot of like seasonal business and transitory business because it is a destination vacation spot. I think that's a really good point, too, of to what extent do vacation spots just kind of happen naturally because there it's a place that people want to go because it's pretty or because there's a thing there people want to see, it's a tourist attraction, and to what degree are they kind of planned or, or contrived to be a space? And, like, it's kind of funny, there's this, this, there's another real Midwest one, there are these two huge, beautiful old hotels in southern Indiana that were built because there are mineral springs there that the water has excellent laxative per- like properties. So people would go and take the waters, which, if you know anything about like late 19th, early 20th century health ailments, like not being <laughs> regular was a big one. And so they would go and get on these like health regimes for a couple weeks where they would have like like healthy diet and exercise prescribed and they would take the waters which literally meant like drinking this mineral water that sent you to the bathroom and these beautiful luxurious hotels were built to accommodate people who wanted to come and enjoy what the local springs had to offer and they even bottled it and sold it they called it pluto water which just cracks me up there's a little devil on the bottle like hey you're gonna go to the bathroom i don't know but <laughs> And, and these hotels are still there. They like renovated them. They're beautiful. And uh, people don't take the waters anymore because um, it's illegal. Turns out there was some lithium in the water, too. So you can't sell that anymore. As with most, you know, this this will cure what ails you things from the late late 19th, early 20th century. It actually was absolutely terrible <laughs> for you. It was drugs. Um, but but also, but also, oh, also, God, I love humans. also made you crap. Um, but... <laughs> So it, it's this weird combination of like, yes, there was a real thing there that people might have chosen to, but the whole contrivance of this luxury hotel being built up to accommodate Though this you one particular me, thing people would come to do. You do remind me there is this town out in West Texas called Marfa, which is just this tiny West Texas town of nothing. But for some reason, a bunch of like New York artists just like decided like, this is like this hipster, artsy town now. And just sort of descended upon it. And so there are a bunch of, like, really nice hotels, but it is... But, like, you walk three blocks and then you're like, no, I'm in a tiny Texas, West Texas town of nothing. <laughs> but, it, like, it is it is this sort of weird combination of, like, now it is designed to sort of cater to, like, people from big cities who have come to, like, just be, like, hipstery here. But it's also still a tiny West Texas town in the middle of nowhere. It's fascinating <laughs> in that way. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, who vacationed in central Florida before Walt Disney put a big park right. there? Like, that was not the part of that Florida was a, that, that it was, was the gross swamp. Ew. No. <laughs> yeah. But you put Disney World there and all of a sudden, you know. You've, you've created a destination, and now other destinations pop up around it. And, and, oh, well, Disney is there, so Universal moves in. And there's all these other 
you know, knockoff hotels and resorts, sort of as you get further from the 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 glowing radioactive center that is Disney World <laughs> itself, she says with with love and hate in her heart. Look, I love Disney World, but I recognize all the evil that does also generate there. But but yeah, so like it it becomes a destination and then sort of snowballs upon itself in a weird way. You just made me think like in your secondary world fantasy did somebody make an actual magic kingdom because they had magic and thus made a whole amusement park <laughs> using magic as like the actual like way that everything works and i love it oh gosh i mean i feel like i might have seen something like that but i outside of terry pratchett i can't think of anybody who would even like touch that okay yeah see that's (laughs) (laughs) like terry pratchett would would do that i don't know if he specifically did or not but i feel like that could that works as a very pratchett-esque sort of thing but in a i feel like there's a reference to something in like a more quote-unquote traditional secondary world fantasy like the idea of there being their idea of there being an amusement park or anything with that kind of leisure even just tourist, tourist traps, traps. Yeah. like like I, you don't I, I, see that magical oh, tourist like, traps like, like the mystery should, spot but it's actually real that's part of the marfa not, thing is the marfa lights which the, are these like weird not little the green mystery lights spots you see off in the distance and nobody knows what they are. But if, like, there actually is, like, occasionally right. the portal opens, you never know when. <laughs> or you do, and it's like... Sometimes the Glormorph comes out of the portal. <laughs> or or, it, or it's, it's like Yellowstone, and we actually do know exactly when the, like, magical portal opens, or the magical firestorm Gazing. occurs, right. or the, like, mirror of future blazes to life, and and people are like... Gaze into the void yes. at 11 a.m., 1 p.m., 3 p.m., and 5 p.m. on Thursdays. Because you know... Special 4 p.m. screaming into the void, hours available. <laughs> you you know... Must be ticketed. Again, humans are going to human, and if there is something amazing and fantastical that, you know, somebody is going to put a ticket booth in front of it. I remember somebody like, this is the big argument against the Flat Earthers, because if there actually was an Edge of the Earth, you know that, like, Disney and Starbucks would have already set up there. Oh, God, there'd be cruises going to it. Like, like, no, somebody would have monetized that. That's how I feel about, like, you know, caves and the fact that people will pay money to go into caves. Like, once again, not my idea of a good time. But somebody wanted to do it, and somebody else realized they could make money off of somebody else wanting to do it. So, okay, well, anything tall, we're like, you want you want to go up there? You want to? You can go up there if you want. <laughs> it's like anything. Pay pay your dollar and go up the stairs. There you go. I mean, so, to an extent, like, humans will always want to go somewhere tall or deep or dark or far, just to say that they did it. Here, climbing the lighthouse is a thing. That people will pay fifteen dollars to do to go up two hundred and twenty stairs <laughs> on purpose. I can do that for free. <laughs> Lots of places, but they're making that choice as a leisure activity. You don't get that view at the end, do you? Is it? Is it eh, the actual view? I mean, it's actually it's pretty, but like there are people who will do it every year, and it's like it hasn't changed. And see, because I feel like part of that is a vacation thing, right? Because you're like, well, I'm on vacation. Well, I'm here. I might as well do the, the thing. There's nothing else to do. We've got four hours till dinner. The largest ball of twine is here. So like, you know, as well. it's not like we're not going to see the largest ball of twine. Because we, we're here. <laughs> we're when are we going right to be back here it. again? I mean, I mean, now's our chance. 
Well, and that, that stuff sort of is fun because it does, it ties vacation to so many other things that we've discussed in other episodes. Like, what do people do on vacation? Do you eat interesting food? Do you look at art in some fashion? <laughs> do you go to a museum, a space that has been specifically constructed for, for leisure, really, for, for people to come and look at things? Maybe old things, maybe art things, maybe sciencey things, but like anything that is tourism is once again, it's a conscious choice to use that space and those resources to provide people with leisure. Often, but not always in exchange for money, but you know, like it's, it's an interesting thing and it's fun to think about in the world you've created, what would those things be? What would be the things people would choose to do with leisure time? One thing I think we're becoming more aware of um, in our own choices in the real world about vacationing is that, like, there are some ethics involved sometimes with, like, do we do we consider the fact that wealthier people, wealthier nations tend to find the pretty places and exploit them? And is that something that in a second world you want to consider and be aware of, be acknowledging of. The fact that sometimes we show up in places um, and are maybe not as sensitive as we could be historically, and even probably now, about the local culture. Did you appropriate the entire local culture and then make it be the kitschy aspect of the vacation and then make the people who actually, you know, are of the local culture then do performative things about their culture that they don't really want to do, but that's now right. you've now set it up that that's the only way that they have to earn a living is is by is to and, and to do the performative version of it because there yeah. are many people who are very uh-huh. happy to share elements of their culture and in fact want to and are happy to you know make people aware of you know whatever it is music or dance or food but what tourists often demand is not that authentic. I hate the word authentic, but, you know, what what the local people want to provide and share, but they want the kitschified version of it. They want the McDonald's version. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is where Hawaii enters the chat, you know, yes. like. <laughs> and and Hawaii. Tourist, tourist destination that is now begging people not to come. Like, stop. Just just everyone, please stop. And, and part of that is ecological, too, right? That when too many people yeah. descend upon the same place, that place can, you know, suffer unintended consequences. You know, you've got things like beach erosion because there's too many people hiking all over it. You have not known my rage till you have seen me taking on people who fuck up the dunes out here on the Outer Banks. <laughs> like, my mother has had to, like, hold me back my by bikini strings to keep me from going after people sometimes because they don't understand how important it is. Like, those dunes are what keep the island from getting completely destroyed when a storm <laughs> rolls through. And people don't respect them, and birds and turtles live in them, and I get very upset. I get very upset, because people don't care. They don't know. But the flip side of it, I think, is ecotourism is also a thing now. And, and there are lots of places and institutions that have tried to correct that imbalance and, and make conservation the point, and to make money off of conservation in a way that helps the local economy, not just, you know, some distant corporation. But it can be tricky, and it's hard to know sometimes, like, if I plan one of these, am I helping the right people if I travel to this place, or am I contributing to the problem? Am I the drama? (laughs) Is this where we talk about Snail Lick Island? I think it is. In the world we're building, when we're talking about, like, vacations and 
infrastructure for people to have a good time. Odds are we're talking about Griasta because that's, you know, to a large degree that that is what that culture is sort of not necessarily built around, but you could you could easily see the Disneyfication of Griasta happening. The Ibiza Ibiza occasion. <laughs> no, but but I'm also imagining all the I'm also imagining all the people in Griasta like putting up keep Griasta weird like oh, girls yeah. and stuff. Oh, like, absolutely. Griasta would resist but, Disneyfication hard. But have we not done it ourselves in how often we reduce Griasta to just Snail Lick Island? I mean, it's true. I yeah. feel guilty sometimes. Griasta is Griasta is multifaceted. There's so multifaceted much, there's as so anywhere else it. in the world. There's so much more. So like, I, that's I, in I fact, also, that's in fact their next their next tourism campaign is there's more to Griasta than Snail Lake Island. But especially with the travel convenience that that the magical nude gate gives us, you can definitely see that it being a a a destination place that people want to go to because it is. You know, it is exactly the sort of place where it's, you know, it's warm, it's beachy, it's friendly, the food is great, and there's the hallucinogenic snails. snails. And there's the hallucinogenic snails, <laughs> and everyone's like, you gotta, you gotta go for the snails. And does, I mean, the question has been brought up by, by friends and listeners of the podcast of, does, does everybody wanting to lick the snails create a problem for the snails of, you know, is it, does it risk their lives? I mean, I am just imagining just the sheer number of people who are wanting to go to Snail Lake Island. I'm imagining a group of concerned citizens who have a whole, like, conserve the snails campaign that they've got going on at this moment, where they're like, we need regulations on how many people can go to the island. There are too many people traipsing all over the island. Snail populations could decline if there's too many people messing with them. I'm just I'm imagining, like... I'm going to go one step there's, further. There's t-shirts. And that there's a monastic order who like their whole thing is is the the care and tending of the snails and making sure that their environment because I think they are a very environmentally sensitive creature. Like the idea is that they really can't survive anywhere other than this island. So, I think the 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 care and preservation of the island itself is critical to care and preservation of the snails themselves. We have to preserve the things that the snails eat, as well as the snails themselves, and the rocks that they like to hide under and, and climb on and things like that. And, you know, I'm in fact imagining this being, like, just because of the the technological state that our world is in, and kind of like the age that we would put it at, that the snails of Snail Lake Island, the Griaston snails, kind of become like a focal point of early understanding of ecology. And like how a space must must be preserved and work together in order to to stay balanced and like like this is like all because of getting high on Snail Lake Island like like the whole world kind of begins to understand more how how you know ecology works and why conservation can in fact matter. Now I think there's there's also there there are bottlenecks that help preserve the island to an extent because like there's not a there's not a magical nude gate that takes you right to the island like you gotta you gotta you know you gotta go to whatever city and then you gotta get on a boat 
and like the monks are only going to let so many people on the boat and you know and all that so that's the sort of thing that keeps it from getting out of control that but it creates such great plot hooks you know like the tension between the economic demand to let more people on snailic island versus the conservation and the the veneration perhaps of the snails from these monks and and then i i have to toss in an idea here that i swear i thought we had come up with and then i thought about it more and realized no it wasn't actually us it was my gentleman noah talking about the snails with him one day because he so loves the snails and and would hate to think of anything happening to these fictional snails and and the idea that there's actually a symbiotic relationship between the tourists and the snails that the act of licking the snails does not endanger them but in fact human saliva helps to like harden their shells or something or stimulate growth in some way and so that like licking the snails is a good thing and necessary so we do need some tourists so like the monks can't just close off snail lick island because the snails have become dependent on us too but it was because noah did not want the snails harmed he, d- he couldn't bear to think of them becoming endangered <laughs> and he threw out that idea which i kind of love no i love it i love the idea but see there's a part of me that just thinks like that is like a sort of a perfect sort of Darwinian evolutionary sort of thing that like the snails that like for whatever reason they like needed other species to lick them and thus developed being hallucinogenic as an encouraging thing to like get to get licked and not get eaten because eating it I have the idea that eating them actually is a bad idea like yeah no because you want you want like a like a lick is good but like if you ate a whole snail like no you're you gonna be sick for weeks that's that's the very bad trip that you never come down from <laughs> yeah and yeah. and some early griastins probably found that out the hard way you know like yeah that like ooh just licking them that's good having having the ask- no 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 we never saw Giorgio then, again. okay then then I'm, I'm imagining like. The snail lick experience, like, are the monks keeping this, like, very, like, this, you know, the way it always has been? You just, you go out and you find a snail and you lick it? Or are there, like, snail licking, like, tasting menus where you, like, you lick a snail, you take a shot. You lick a snail, you eat a little dessert that complements the snail taste. Like, like to, like, to what extent have we commodified the snail tasting experience and to what extent is it, like, this is just... Go forth and lick. I, I would imagine in an effort to maintain that sort of level of ecological control that they have not, I would say partly ritualized, but definitely curated the experience so that it is a thing where the whole thing is like, you're, you're not, it's going to be a little more like the way say ayahuasca is treated now that like you don't you know you don't just do it like you know willy-nilly like there's there's supposed to be a whole experience and it is quasi-religious and it is and it is somewhat sacred and that sanctity for the griastans is probably also involves a fair amount of debauchery because this is who they are but like it is worship but worship will also look like a basement club there's holiness to be found if that in makes many things. things yeah totally 
Totally. It, it is wholly in their way. What I, what I love about that as a world building element, though, is that you can see how that can change over time. You can see how that yeah. ritualization developed, perhaps because initially it was just too many people partying on the beach. And even if they meant the snails no harm, they were disrupting the rocks or the algae or something or, or the snails right. got overwhelmed or, uh, you know, things like that. Um, you can see how that develops in response to a condition of the past that their society has now yeah. adapted for. And that speaks to what we talk about so often about loving about a fictional world is one that feels like it hasn't always been the same. It hasn't, you know, the, 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 the snail lick monks haven't been here for 2000 years. Maybe they've been here for like 80 years, like 200 or something, you know, like it's, it's not eternal. Right. It's response to changing conditions. So here's a question. Where are other places in the world that you think people might enjoy vacationing? Because as we said, Snail Lake Island is maybe not everyone's cup of tea. And there are probably people who are like Riasta in the high season. And by high season, I mean both high and high. Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't want to be there. That's not fun for me. I was thinking about this and it occurred to me there has to be a place that or there ought to be a place that you can only get there via the gates. Like maybe even people don't even know, like it's an island somewhere. We don't know exactly where on, on the map it is. Our boats have been looking, so, but they can't find it. But nobody can find it on the boats. But so it then becomes this deeply exclusive place where because we've talked about like there's like the the orders of the navigators or whatever or that there being some sort of like elite culture that use the gates almost exclusively that this becomes their very elite playground of this place that only they even know how to get to you have to know the exact sequence of bad. gates to go through to get there right and then probably i mean if it's a remote place like everybody who goes there's probably just naked because Unless you have some yeah. kind of infrastructure to to provide for you when you're there, yeah, everyone be, would have to be well, naked because the, the boats don't go there. The boats so. don't go there, so there's not you know unless yeah. there's stuff there that you well, can make clothing from, and you'd have to. It would, but why why do you waste time on your vacation making clothing? That's yeah. the point of going there is you don't have to follow those silly societal yeah. rules of putting on pants. <laughs> but like I mean, other things like it would have to be a place if you were going to stay there for any amount of time that had naturally available food, you know? <laughs> yeah. You would have to have kind of like a, almost like a, an Eden esque, like there's just yeah. fruit trees and they're all blossoming at different times and fruiting at different times. And, and there's tide pools that just like have food that's just, you know, yeah. like there's just shellfish and you just go and grab some and eat them. It's great. And there's a freshwater spring right in the middle of the Island and it's kind of perfect. And, there are myths that spring up around this island that it is in fact like it's the fountain of, of yeah because like whatever how many because, people yeah. how many people outside the order of the navigators might even know about it and how many people might have just heard you know a telephone chain of stories mm -hmm. about this island that yeah. may or may not actually exist which, and again, people are looking, maybe there is this element, people are looking for it because of this mythic quality that it has. It must be more than just a really cool place to go around pantsless. So We have lots of those places. <laughs> <laughs> just go to Griasta if you want to go around pantsless. But also, I like, 
I like the idea that maybe there was like a lost culture there. And so there is like infrastructure of buildings left behind. Like nobody, at least as far as the. As but where they the, go, Marshall, that's creepy. Yeah. That's I don't want to go there now. I wanted to go there and now I don't want to go there anymore. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. Is there, are the navigators covering up the, oh yes, we showed up and killed oh. them all. Or is it a thing where it's there's a mystery or did they just or did they just leave and then forget the gate how to get back when they discovered their gate off did they they all just went through it and did they just go through it and and whoops yeah like that's and couldn't find the way back oh that's so tragic (gasps) yeah oh that's so sad i love it i'm also i mean i'm even picturing like if it's building structures that have held up well enough that people could still like exist in them i'm sort of picturing like you know the buildings are like cut into mountain walls and things like it's not it's not even like artificial structures it's it's more durable than that and so it feels really timeless even you know however long it actually has been oh fun i just think that'd be really cool oh yeah that does sound really cool so here's a question Cass: does falunir have um any kind of tourism or do people go there for any any vacationy purposes it's i mean there's it's it's quite cold there. Winter sports, perhaps. Maybe. That is true. <laughs> they do have ice things. It's too flat for, like, downhill skiing. But you could go there for, like, cross-country skiing. There probably is, like, it's probably not a huge tourism industry. But I think there might be some for, like, the people from the warmer climates to be, like, take our trip up river, see the ice flows, meet a caribou. <laughs> You you could have like river cruises, yeah. Because like I mean, you know, like they're like go up the river and I see mean, the cool stuff. People do that. People do like um, you know yeah. the, the Alaska cruises and things like that. It's probably wildlife that isn't in a lot of the rest of the world. I think the cities probably have more sedate tourism, like museums. They have really good libraries. I know they have really good libraries. Do they have hot springs? I think they should somewhere. Maybe not in the city, but further up up river. I think they probably do. Like some Icelandic type hot springs, so yeah, it's probably not a huge industry for them. Um, I think there's probably more overlap between like the business travelers who take an extra day, you know, to to go up river or something. But I think there's an element of it certainly, and I think when they travel, some of them, the the ones who occasionally feel like they really need to let loose, might go to Griasta, but some of them probably choose. Or um, like, or the, might choose like the 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 less wild parts of Griasta, or might choose like the 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 music halls of Altnut Lear would be appealing to them as well. I think they probably seek out warm, but less Sedate. wild. Yeah, like less wild. <laughs> like go take in the culture somewhere else. Yeah, but they probably like you know wine tours and things like that. Like, oh, we can't grow this here, but. Uh, I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying going along this this coastline and sampling your grapes. It does. It does occur to me though like that it. the nature of the MNG in our world makes the idea of vacation culture being a much bigger thing than the average secondary fantasy world. I think a lot yeah. stronger. and and at a lower level of technology than I think we usually think about, like right. tourism happening at. Yeah, because I mean you don't you don't get really like go far far away for tourism until significantly later in our history you know you get little kind of either people who are going to 
really invest a lot of time and like go on pilgrimage kind of situations or you have like we're gonna go 10 miles that way because we can and it's not super uncomfortable to do that because you get long distance traveling and it's super uncomfortable for a really long time i mean it's still and, not the best unless you are extremely but it's wealthy. much better much better <laughs> yes. than it used to be you know it doesn't take six months to get across the ocean just you know right. six hours of being cramped in 28 inches of space with screaming children and knees and all back. of your but new closest friends better than closest you know meaning close better than catching dysentery on your way across the atlantic right yeah i mean if you can think about like you know the transatlantic crossings by like 1900 like these luxurious liners that were like built for this purpose and it's like i don't know that still doesn't sound like the most fun to me no sounds like hell to me but i'm afraid of open water <laughs> so the mng <laughs> would solve like so many of my problems so many problems you don't need to take the dragon and stop at the, the dragon port halfway across the ocean. I do still like the idea of, of the dragon rest stops in the sky, though. <laughs> it's a great. That's just fun. I'm just picturing well, again, it. Like. Also, I just love the idea. If you have the kind of like world building or magic where, say, you have like sort of floating cities or Aries or something like that, then, of course, that's also going to be a tourist destination. You're going to have things of like people doing parasailing or whatever off the edge of the floating city of course you're gonna get skydivers from the flying city like that's just gonna be a thing there's like a big net underneath it and or an extreme sport where like the dragon has to catch you oh absolutely (laughs) all kinds of wild things i i can totally see there being an extreme sport where you where you you know free fall and the trick is you have to catch the dragon midair and and just hope for the best <laughs> oh I'd, I'd, I'd be very dead <laughs> would not go well for me either you gotta want it to to, to even try that sport <laughs> and i don't and i don't i just rowena how about the people of alt not lear what do they do for for vacay so, I mean, they're in a pretty nice spot already. So I imagine that there's a lot of, like, island hopping. Like, people from this island, like, go to that island because they like that particular beach or that particular cliff or whatever. Or we're going to go see... We're going to go take in the opera at that opera house instead of the one in our space. But I, th- I think that they they can tend towards snobbery to some degree. So I think that they like... They like um, going to other places that also have, like, culture that they don't get. So they, they might enjoy the libraries, actually, in Fallen Year. They might enjoy that. Um, so there's some, some trading there maybe happening. Um, I think they might also like going places and just seeing things that they haven't seen before. So, like, the, the idea for them of, like, going to Australia and seeing the Great Barrier Reef in a kangaroo sounds very, like, appealing. Because I haven't seen that, and that's that's interesting. And I have now learned something, and I... I feel enriched by this process. So I think that that's the kind of things that they advertise to them, right? Like, come to this place, see see this thing you haven't seen before. I, I, I think some of them might be into Griasta for the purpose of, like, haven't done that before, haven't licked a snail. But I don't know how many would be repeat travelers. Everyone's like they... into Griasta, even if they don't want to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> they do it once. It'd be like that thing that's like, yeah, yes, we went. We went once. <laughs> was yes it was it was interesting it was it was an invigorating experience (laughs) yes yes and i think that they probably curate um you know sort of resort villas 
on their islands and to encourage tourism from other places because they're warm and it's islandy and it's pretty and they kind of do the luxury thing well. So I think they probably like try to appeal to the luxury traveler who wants to come and lounge in a villa and drink wine and listen to music and go bird watching and generally be sedate. <laughs> I, I think I think they, they would be like a good destination place for, for the wealthy intellectual who like... yeah. Who wants to go? Who wants to go to their alot near summer house and and yes. and see the have, birds? Have a bit and... of quiet. <laughs> take take in take in a show. Where do the Greastons go when they need a break from being Greaston? Ah, oh, that's a good question. See, that's the thing. I think that they could appreciate that sort of alot near Lear. Yes, and I, and know, I think they, and, and and I think that they would in, they would enliven just just enough, you know, just a hint that, that it kind of benefits everyone, you know. It's a bit of fun. I, I think grass and culture, like a part of it is knowing how to read the room and knowing like, like this, this is not a pantsless event. We. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry. I did not read that invitation carefully enough. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go get a sarong or something. I'll be, be right back. Yes. <laughs> this said black tie required and I misunderstood that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I have a black tie. <laughs> yes, but it's where you have it. <laughs> I feel like I could also see the the um, the Griastons, some of them at least, being like adventure travelers, ones who seek out, oh yeah, like other places of our world, you know, places that we haven't quite developed as much, but where you can, you know, cliff dive, where you can run with these exotic antelopes that may or may not murder you, you know, the, sort of the. The wilder experiences, I think, could could be something that attracts them to different parts of the globe. Oh, absolutely! I, I definitely think so. There there is, I think, a big culture of having experiences. So, like the yes, we went over here and we we ran, we ran with the sloth migration, which is faster than you'd think it would be. I think I think that's a big thing for them. Now I want to go on vacation in in our world, and I'm I'm a little sad that we can't, but. Mm. I suppose every time we world build, it's, it's a little tiny vacation. Uh, I mean, that is part of the process of world building, is just imagining incredible places you could go. Hi, you. Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode goes up on August 31st, where we'll be diving deep with our on-air world and locking down specifics of the MNG, how it works, and how it affects the world. Also, all three of your hosts will be appearing at Worldcon in Chicago, September 1st to 5th. We'll be on a number of items there, including recording a live episode and keeping our fingers crossed for the Hugo Awards. If you're attending, please come and say hello. If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, links to all of that information is on our website at worldbuildingformasochists.podbeam.com. 
We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is WorldBuildCast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.